Hey everyone, welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jeremillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the lives of people in my network. So these are great leads I'll be interviewing on these books. And I want to know and I want to learn from um, them which book it is that's provided the best impact, the most impact, uh, contributing to who they are, the value they create, the leader they are, the business person they are, whatever it is that contributes that best value to their life. And in this particular series, I cover three categories of books. The first category, one that I haven't read that they're schooling me on. The second that we both read, whether specifically for this episode or for the series uh, or whether we've read it before uh, the series itself. And then the third category is having the authors or publishers of books that have been out there uh, making the rounds. In this particular episode, I will be interviewing the author of the book. So for this episode, my guest will be Gramps Jeffrey. Gramps Jeffrey is the pen name for Mark Joseph, whose first book, The Secrets to Retailing, How to Beat Walmart, was written to help entrepreneurs and small businesses compete against the big guys. Ariana Huffington read his book and asked him to contribute to the Huffington Post. And so he's written over 100 articles about small businesses, education, the homeless, and several other nonprofit topics dear to all of us. Gramps and his lovely wife, Kathy, live in Scottsdale, Arizona, where two of his grandchildren live. Two more live in Austin, Texas, and two more live in Orlando. That's great that I love that, that the family's incorporated in that bio all over the U.S. And uh, I met Gramps when he reached out, having heard about the series, what I was trying to achieve. Wanted to share some information and uh, give the same kind of background and just the lessons that he shared in his book. So I wanted to get to know him. We talked back and forth. I saw what he was all about, the lens that he can provide to each of us just based on the experience of his life, the different careers that he's had, his entrepreneurial career. Uh, so I wanted him to sit down with me. Uh, and here we are. So Gramps, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, I appreciate the invitation. I enjoy being on here. So Gramps, I gave that brief bio and I always try to keep them brief just so we can dive into the meat of the person's career, their life, whatever it may be. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're up to today? What is it that you're you're carrying out, whether in your business or current writing or anything like that? I have turned into a children's book writer. And the reason I did that was, you know, living this past year because of the pandemic caused by COVID-19, you know, in isolation, except for being able to uh, be with my family, gave me a special time to kind of watch and interact with these grandkids that you referred to. You know, I got to tell you what a trip that was because all six of these kids have different personalities. The one thing they do have in common is their sense of curiosity, you know, and how excited they get when they do accomplish something, you know, watching them grow year to year and how they interact with each other really is the basis of my uh, children's book was, uh, I don't want to turn three. It's the name of the book. You know, what goes through a toddler's mind? when the parents are so desperate to understand. When does a toddler understand the difference between me and us? You know, the book explores how a whole family finds this out together. So you know, going back through my career and so forth, as a, as a baby boomer trying to understand how the world has evolved since I was three years old, you know, it's also kind of part of the story. You know, my parents, they didn't have cell phones. You know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have cable TV. They didn't have remotes. I was my dad's road. He said, son, go change the channel. <laughs> you know, I, I was the remote. You know, uh, my parents' definition of discipline is quite different from the parents of today. You know, has today's world made for a better place for, for children to grow up? I'll, I'll let your listeners kind of answer that question. You know, as you kind of weigh how you were treated growing up on how we're treating our kids today. 
So that's kind of what this whole book is about, is the adventures of a family going from two to three and then three to four and five and so forth. So that's my latest adventure myself. So Gramps, throughout your career, what kind of work were you doing in terms of your entrepreneurship? Um, you, you reference uh, assisting um, uh, other entrepreneurs, small businesses. What kind of work were you doing before um, you became an author? Well, I really started my career when I was in my 20s in the department store business. You know, okay. Back in the 70s and 80s when the uh, department stores were a hot thing. So I got into retailing. Um, I went from the, the department store business into the off-price business and to the specialty business. Uh, so and then the manufacturing and things like that. So my early career was corporate. That's what I did. But I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I finally made that leap and uh, I got out of the corporate business and I started a couple of businesses. One was a chain of hair salons. I started, I sold that to investors. And the other is a company that I took public uh, that became the premier business to business site on the internet. We sold case quantity to small businesses all around the world, shipping to all 50 states around 40, 40 countries. Our customer base are the moms and the pops for surviving Friday against the chains. So that's when I got involved uh, when, uh, you know, back in the early 2000s and so forth, when we were really pushing to, to help entrepreneurs survive what was going on in this world. That's when I wrote my book, uh, you know, The Secrets of Retailing, How to Be Walmart. And the reason I wrote the book was I was getting like 30 phone calls a day from customers saying, how do I do this? What do I do that? So the book basically is a, a copy of it here. Go look at it. The book is basically uh, a step-by-step -step guide on how to open a business, how to run a business. And, uh, you know, so there's 15 different chapters in the book, how to hire your people, find your location, where to find your products, how to market your business online, how to market your business traditionally. And the last chapter, chapter 15, is how to exit your business, how to, how to sell it, how to get rid of it. So that's, I wrote that book, but I, I really wrote it for our customer base so that mm -hmm. to help them understand you know, what they do once they're up and running. So what is it? it? It's interesting when I when I speak to authors or I speak to any kind of professional on this series where they may go into a particular field, a particular trade, a particular whatever it may be area of of the workforce or the business force. Yours is more the entrepreneurial spirit. Right. So it's not I don't think you're 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 focused, hyper focused on any particular industry. It seems like you're just driven. um by just getting things off the ground, right? Or I mean, obviously retail, but retail can be so many different things. So when I ask people, okay, what from your past drove you into being a doctor, being a lawyer, can you point back to something in your youth where, whether it was family, uh, relatives, whether it was friends, whether it was environment, a teacher, education, what was it that got you started with that entrepreneurial spirit, that that go-getter attitude. Do you remember anything that kind of triggered that mentality? Yeah, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, all right? And so, you know, when I was a little kid, they happened to be in the scrap business of all businesses. Um, but it happened that my mother's family was in the scrap business. My father's family was in the scrap business. And so all of a sudden, you know, this was the entrepreneurs. So, you know, as a little kid, I was working every summer and every vacation in this business. And finally, I decided that even though my family's entrepreneurial, you know, I need to go do my own thing. You know, I need to, to figure out what I really want to do. And that's how I got involved in the corporate world. 
But it's interesting, you, you mentioned something earlier, right before the, uh, the question here, was you know, that the, you, you concentrate on, uh, on the business and entrepreneurs, but businesses change. And I'll give you an example of what happened with our business. You know, we started this business to help small and medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs get going. And so that's how we started this business on the internet. And we became pretty dominant. We had thousands and thousands of keywords and phrases that were organically, which means they were, they were naturally ranked one, two, and three in all kinds of different, uh, different categories. So what happened was when Katrina hit, if you remember that back in 2005 and six, uh, the, that all of a sudden, because we were so dominant on the internet, we were getting calls from uh, churches and schools who wanted to find products to help the people in Mississippi and Louisiana. So all of a sudden we were selling underwear and socks and toothpaste and toothbrushes. And then when they opened up the uh, trailers, we were doing all the kitchen supplies and the, the bedroom supplies and the you know, bathroom supplies. And all of a sudden it opened up our eyes that there is a whole underserved market out there that could use our products because nonprofits would come to us to buy their goods because they could buy more goods and stretch their dollars and help more people. And so that helped us evolve. And if you take that as a lesson that for entrepreneurs and small businesses, always keep your eyes out, always look for something different because you may have the greatest idea, but it has to evolve many times. And so that's one lesson that any listeners will do. Just always look, always keep in mind, be broad in what you're looking for because you know your greatest customer could come from where you don't even know it. And today it's much different than it was 40 years ago. You know, 40 years ago, you open up a business and you open up in your small town and your town and your customer base with the people around you. You know, they they come into your store, they come into your business, they pick up the phone, you're in the phone book. But in today's world, where you can be a small business person, not only service the people in your town, you can service people all over the world. To me, this is the best time in our history to become an entrepreneur because you've got that opportunity to really reach out and find so many customers that you could never find 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a global reach. I mean, even if it's not a good in service, I mean, even this podcast, the majority of the people that I've interviewed, I haven't even met in person. You know, the the majority of the people I've interviewed, the the, the podcast, the actual episode that I recorded with them was the first time we spoke face to face. So we 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 meet on LinkedIn or whatever networking group that everything's virtual. Most of everything's virtual during the pandemic. And you reach out, you have similar ideas and you're like, okay, let, can I interview you? So it's just amazing the reach that you have. And I couldn't have done that without, I think that comes up so often, the time in history that we're in, just the accessibility that is there for the taking, if we're curious enough to actually look for it and utilize it. Yes. And so we also have to keep in mind, and that, that's another reason I wrote this children's book, is I don't want to turn three, is... This newest and greatest generation that's coming up is the best ever. It's going to be. I mean, as soon as they come out of the womb, you know, they're exposed to the internet, and they're exposed to iPhones and to, to you know, all kinds of screens. Now, I didn't get involved into the internet until I was 40 years old. I mean, this whole generation, as soon as they, they're so much smarter than we are. And so, you know, we, uh, we, we as adults and parents and grandparents, we have to be able to balance all this great technology that they're learning with the real world things. And that's why 
we as generations uh, right now have got to get involved in raising these kids because take that great things that they're learning on the technology and you know because technology is there to, to help you achieve your goals you know we have to teach our children how to set goals and use that technology and so that's why one of the reasons I wrote this book too is to get people involved and let's get involved in raising these kids. That's such a good point. And it's it's something that's come up recently with me just because, you know, I have young kids, a six, uh, six-year-old, a three-year-old and a, a baby that was just born a month ago. And it's come up a lot where, you know, you talk to your friends and you realize how different this generation has it than my generation, than your generation. Um, you know, that my kid has cartoons on demand. He knows which service to go to, to see which episode that he loves of a cartoon. Meanwhile, when I was in high school, I'd have to go home, watch MTV and wait for the video to pop up that I wanted to watch. Now I just go to YouTube and I can watch it however many times I want. So there's something about that instant gratification, but you bring up a good point where I'm like, okay, when my kid gets to a certain age, it's like, how do I balance the access, the instant gratification with living a life that's not that's not driven by those things. It's like, okay, so you know, I don't even want to uh, pontificate on that. What do you think? I don't know if it's a lesson in the book. Why don't we go into the book and we'll we'll get back to this conversation? I swear, because I'm curious. I want to pick your brain on it. But you had this time with your grandchildren. So what 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 led to the theme of this particular book? I don't want to turn three which I can relate to, but I, I want to hear what, what you think, what it is that drove you to, to this particular premise of the book. You know, it really, when you're watching two and three and four year old kids, they have trouble sharing. They have trouble communicating, you know, because everything is, it's me versus us. So the, the real theme of this book is at what age do we begin to take responsibility for our actions? Is it three years old? Is it 13 years old? Is it 23 years old? You know, I'm a baby boomer. I got plenty of 63 year old that still don't take responsibility for that. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so that's the real theme of this book is, is when does it happen and how can, you know, parents influence that? So what are your thoughts? Well, the one thing. And that, you don't have to give away too, too much of the book if, if it's in the book. Um, but I'm, I'm, I got you at the right time because I've been thinking about this a lot because I have that three-year-old and I have the one that's coming up behind them. So I'm, I'm curious, like what, what you think of that? Well, the, the major influence that we can do immediately is we got to get our kids into reading and we got to, we got to get them, you know, we got to get them to sit there town and starting to read because, you know, they're on the screens they're doing that, but we've got to take that. And, and there's all kinds of benefits to reading to children. You know, if you kind of picture you get a little child sitting on your lap, you know, the first thing that happens when you get them for 20 minutes while you're reading our book is, you know, you create a bonding. You know, there's a nice time to spend together, just you and them. You know, it's a bonding situation. So that helps right away, again, getting them out of this crazy world that they're in. And you know, another reason that we as adults, and I'm looking at all my grandparents out there, make sure you get involved with these kids, is uh, that it supports listening skills. Now, you and I both know that the most important skill that we have adopted over these years is our listening skills. I mean, 
think about it. You're, you're a podcaster. You've got to have listening skills. You've got to understand, you know, before you're, if you're in sales, you have to have listening skills before you do anything. So if we can embed and to our little kids when they're two, three, and four years old by reading a book, taking that time, you know, it creates these listening skills. You know, it just requires them to listen when they're reading a book. So that's another reason why we have to take time to read books to these kids. Another reason is, you know, it's the uh, cognitive and language development. You know, there's plenty of words in these books that they don't understand. I mean, there's plenty of words I don't understand. I gotta look them up. <laughs> but, you know, there are words. So it gives you a chance to, to just talk to them, explain what these words mean, you know, really explore with them, you know, all different things as the two of you are sitting on, they're sitting on your lap. Uh, and another reason you know, that we need to uh, read books to our kids and make sure it's a part of your routine every single night is because of the attention span it creates. You know, little kids, as you well know, have a couple of them that are running around. They run around all day long. They bounce off the walls all day long. You got them sitting in your lap for 20 minutes. It helps with key concentration, self-discipline. You know, so it's these attention span that does that. So I would encourage any of your listeners that have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, make sure that part of their routine every single day is sitting down and reading books because that helps offset everything else that they're doing in their lives. Grabs, how many how many books have you written? I've written a couple books. You know, I've written lots of articles, but I've written a couple books. The first one obviously was the uh, the business book. The second one is, you know, I don't want to turn three. I'm working on my third one is I don't want to turn four. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and in fact, my uh, granddaughter, Olivia, who is part of the book, all the kids are part of this book, you know, she just turned nine and she came to me last week. She says, Gramps, I got a great idea for our next book. She says, <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, what is it? She says, I don't want to turn 10. And I said, what do you mean you don't want to turn 10? She says, well, you know, I got to start worrying here about driving a car. I said, that's seven years away. Why are you worrying about it now? She said, well, I'm getting worried about it. She says, and I got to start thinking about a college, where I'm going to go to college. I said, that's nine years away. Why are you worrying about it? She says, I, I just very worried about it. So she wants us to write a book. I don't want to turn 10. But if you think about it, I don't want to turn 20. I don't want to turn 40. I don't want to turn 70. You know, there's all yeah. kinds of things in our lives that you know we look back on and do we want to be where we are now or do we really want to go into the future so that's my next uh, series of books so grips what kind of um what kind of parallels do you draw between watching the way that your grandchildren are developing and the workplace and the business place you know what I mean? Because you said you have some people your age that, you know, don't have the attention span or, or whatever it was you had mentioned about uh, the parallels between. Because I find like when I'm coaching, it, it's amazing that the the lessons of leadership are the same from when you're in pre-K all the way to when you're a senior executive. It's just the language that changes. So are there any and I'm sorry to catch you off the off balance with this with this question, but what kind of parallels do you see between your grandkids or the, your experience with any kids at all and the workplace and the business place or the businesses that you've helped? Well, the first thing that's interesting about kids that are two, three, and four is they're very honest. They are not tainted at all. Um, so they, uh, you know, they, they will tell you, like my 
granddaughter Grace, who just turned three, uh, I was at her birthday party in Austin, Texas uh, a couple months ago. You know, and she looks at me and she says, boy, Grant, you got a big belly. I said, what do you mean I got a big belly? I said, is it bigger than your dad? She says, yeah, you got a big belly. Now, anybody in my life going to tell me that? No, it's going to be coming from my granddaughter. Because you know, she, you know, they they are very honest. Um, and the other thing to do is they they repeat everything that you say and do. You are the role model. You know, you as a grandparent, they, they just imitate you. If if you are on your cell phone twenty hours a day, that's what they're going to think is the way it should be. You know, um, for example, if you if you say a cuss word in front of your child. I can guarantee you're going to hear that four more times that day. You know, the obviously the best way to do is to, you know, offset it by things they like, like uh, blueberries and dinosaurs and bananas right after you say it. But you're going to hear that so many more times. So, you know, the, 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 they are very honest and they, we lose that as we grow up. We lose that as we begin to open up businesses and so forth. So yeah. that's just one example. Of the changes. Another example would be that, you know, little kids, two, three, and four, they fight over things. It's all about them. They do not know how to share. You know, and obviously that's one of the things, the main things we have to teach them. But take a look at that when you're in a workplace environment. You know, can your people share? Are they stabbing each other in the back? Are they working as a team? How do you get them to work as a team? That's a very difficult thing. How do you get your, your people to work as a team? I mean, you know, eventually, you know, by the end of my book, they were working as a team, these little kids. But how does that happen in real life when, uh, when, you're, when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s? Can you work as a team? Um, and so, so there's lots of little things that happen when you're two, three, and four that are foreshadowing of what you could be as you grow up. Yeah, in fact, one of my one of my presentations as a leadership coach has been um, one of the more requested ones. Once it got out there that I was doing it, was like um, my uh, the top ten lessons that I learned from my greatest leadership coach, my toddler at the time, one of my particular one of my sons, and it had to do with what you were talking about, how honest they are, um, how they don't forget. You know what I mean? So if somebody comes around and they're the person that always has candy, they're the person that always has candy. If an adult comes around and they're the grumpy one, they remember that's the grumpy adult. And it and all these lessons transfer to when we're adults. So be careful how you know, listen to your intuition, understand how people make you feel. It's like uh be truthful, don't be curious. That's the top one. I mean, you've mentioned that um perfectly so many times. Um be curious that wonderment that we lose as we grow out of our youth. And it's amazing. I've said this before, but it's amazing how when I work with clients and they get to a place where they're more relaxed, more fulfilled, more happy in their career, it's when they've reached back and and remembered who they were when they were younger, what they wanted, like that sense of just wonderment, enchantment with the world around them, that they weren't just sticking to a script. Obviously, the work, the business has to get done, but we give up so much of who we are as you said, we, we kind of become programmed um, in our youth. You know, now your granddaughter is already thinking of, of the license and the college. She's already kind of following that script that you hope that she doesn't lose um, 
just everything we've talked about, that curiosity, that wonderment, that um, wanting to go for what's hers. Like you have to be selfish to some extent, selfish to get what you want, what you need without taking from others. But there's just such a bridge that gets crossed where we leave all the great attributes behind and we can recover them later if we pay attention. But there's just so much that we lose as we go through our careers and our adulthood. Yeah, we need to create the curiosity that builds imaginations. Yeah, that, that's what we need to do. You know, you, you, you mentioned about memories. Can you can you remember? Do you have great memories of your grandparents? Do you, is there something that happened when you were a child that is, that is still with you today? Yeah, I mean, they were in a different country. I've only seen them maybe three times, but the first time that I met them, I was like seven or eight. You know, I remember annoying my grandfather visiting him like yeah i remember specific specific events specific moments specific comments yeah i mean it's it's just vivid yeah it's amazing how we can influence this uh and unfortunately in today's world 30 percent of grandparents are we, we call them remote uh, which they're just not involved with raising their kids their grandkids you know, they, they may see them on a birthday or call them on a birthday or see them at a holiday, but they're just not involved. You know, that's one out of every three of my baby boomer generation that they're like, you know, I raised my kids, let them take care of it. I'm going to do live my own life. You know, so that, that's something that we've got to pull back and get our grandparents more involved because these memories like you talked about are so important. Um, but they can also create bad memories. I mean, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I had uh, my two grandkids here two weekends ago because their parents went off to Las Vegas for a weekend. So we had them. We had a great time. You know, we had, uh, you know, we, we, we watched uh, all the great, we had the, we, we played uh, all the tennis and we played, we were here in Arizona, went swimming, we went to the museum, we went to the park, we did all the great things the grandparents do. But on Saturday night, you know, Levi, who just turned seven, um, his grandmother said, you better eat this food or you're not going to be able to watch television. You know, he's like, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. You know, and so, you know, the next day we gave him back to the parents and uh, the parents said, well, what the, what'd you do? And Olivia said, oh, we had a great time. You know, I played soccer. We had the Wii, you know, twenty-year-old Wii on our TV. We played that. You know, we did all these fun things with, with, with the grandparents. And the only thing Levi said to his parents was, "Grandma made me eat something I don't like." And I can tell you, when he's forty years old, he's going to remember that. So we create those memories too, and so that's something we just got to be careful of is uh, how we handle it, and and because. We all have those things inside us for the rest mm -hmm. of our lives. Yeah, I completely, I love your stories that you tell. And just, it reminds me, it just really does take a village. And I love that there is that one additional degree, the grandparents or that one additional degree, um, aunts and uncles that are vested in getting this kid. You know, when I go, I just went to my sister's yesterday, my mom's house they they will correct my kid if he's out of line they don't look to me and wait for me like that's just our culture where it's kind of like the whole family is involved in in raising that kid but i like i like the fact especially with you saying that this generation is is going to be like the smartest generation because that they have that instant access to everything i love the exposure that they get from being with their grandparents because it is a different generation that grew up in that different generation and there's just so much that your generation can share with them about a time before 
any of this BS with technology took place where you had to build relationships by talking to each other. You know, it, it, most times it will be the grandparents that say, no, I don't want to text. No, I don't want to email. I'd rather just call you or see you in person. So it's like it brings all these traditional, which should be standard lessons forward so that none of that is forgotten. Because I can I can admit like some of my generation maybe forgets the 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 importance and the quality of having those face to face conversations, really building relationships. We get lost in social media and the likes and the engagements and the followers without building those those real traditional. Now it's traditional, those real unique relationships. And that's what life is all about. All of life, whether you're whether you're in family, in the workplace, in business in teaching, whatever it is, it's all about relationships. Now, keep in mind that it's necessary for us to teach our children how to think, not what to think. Yes. We have to teach them how to think. You know, I'm going back to reading books. You know, obviously there's a hundred books out there. Everybody wants, everybody wants to read my book, but you know, we all have 20 books laying around the house. So whenever you're reading a book, again, to, again teaching them how to think, let the kid pick out the book. You know, let them come to the book with you. So they have an instant, you know, they're part of it right off the bat. You know, and before you even sit down and, and, and read the book with them, again, teaching them how to think, ask them, what do you think is going to happen in this book? Start the conversation there about thinking. You know, and then, uh, you know, as you're reading the book, you know, ask them about well, who are the characters in this book? Uh, what is the setting? Can you relate to that? Does anything in this book sound familiar to you? Well, again, teaching them how to think, let them, the book can do that. They can pull that out uh, because there's interaction between you and them. And then much like you should be doing every night at dinner time with your kids, when you ask them, well, how'd your day go? And what, what'd you learn? You know, what was your favorite part of this book? And why was it your favorite part? So we have to, as, as adults, we have to teach our children how to think because they're going to figure out what to think on their own. That's such a great point. Just to get them into that um, that behavior, that habit of of just picking apart their their life, you know, even you know, it's curious that you brought up, or great that you brought up, the difference between the discipline of a previous generation versus the discipline of this generation. Um, my parents were from a different country, which the 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 discipline was different, the household was different. You know, they came here for a better life. So it was all about the work. My sister and I were just talking yesterday where because of the language barrier, my parents didn't help us with homework, never. Um, but it's just, I, I appreciate the fact so much that, that, yeah, that we can just kind of, me as a new parent, that I experienced it with them, what it's like not to have that. And then understand the importance of it today, because I I've probably had more conversations with my kid at six than my dad had with me. And it was more about, you know, this was a different culture. He didn't understand it. He didn't know the language too well. Um, but I, I appreciate that input where um, just the way that we guide their thinking, not that we have to tell them what to think, but or how to think, but to get that process of thinking um, and curiosity about everything around them, getting that going. Yeah, let's talk about the evolution of discipline. Uh, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, you know, and my parents were part of the greatest generation ever because they're the ones that went through the Depression. They're the ones that won World War II. You know, that whole generation is very disciplined, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, they deserved it. They, they saved the world. 
And so, you know, when uh, my brother Larry and I were bad, and my mother would say, where do your dad get some? You know, and he would come home and he'd whip off his belt and he would chase us around the, uh, you know, the kitchen table. And, you know, that was discipline then. He had a uh, fraternity paddle that he kept in his closet and used, obviously, every once in a while. And there was one night when they weren't there, we grew up in Ohio, and uh, it was in late fall and a lot of leaves on the ground. So we took his fraternity battle, paddle and we put it under the, the pile of leaves and then it snowed the next night. And, oh. and, uh, and we went back to look for it in the spring. It was gone. That was a miracle. It was like, wow, you know, we maybe have solved this problem. So when then, then, then we obviously learning from that, uh, you know, we used time out with our kids and talk to our kids and really you know, try to get them to discipline. And now that generation, which is you, um, are now disciplining their kids. And I've seen it with my, my, my daughters, you know, they put them in the time out. You know, a kid doesn't like to be in a corner all by themselves, they're else playing, looking at the wall. Um, so that's one way of discipline. I, I, another way I thought was great, you know, I was telling you it was Grace's birthday party a couple months ago. The, um, she'd gotten a bunch of trucks for her birthday. And her brother, who was four and a half, they were starting to fight over the trucks. And she looks at him and she says to him, I need my space. And she actually <laughs> looks the side of the sofa. And he looks at her and he says, I need my space too. And he goes the other side. Well, they didn't learn that on the internet and they didn't learn that you know, through electronic device. I am sure their mother got so frustrated one day and looked at both of them and says, I need my space. But they learned from it. And that's the way we're disciplined today. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And as the generation before me, it's interesting that when when my my son does something or he raises his voice or he's disrespectful or he talks back and I kind of give him the eyebrow, I kind of give him the look that runs in my family. Like if you're pissed off, you give a look, just a look. And that's all it takes. I swear I got that from my mom. Um, but I'll, I'll, it's almost like scaring him or I'll tell him to go sit down or whatever. And then I look at my mom and she's like, you got to be more easy on him. He's just a boy. I'm like, where was that mentality? <laughs> Where was that mentality when I was a kid? You know, it's, it's, I love how that happens where, um, where grandparents are, yeah, they're obviously for obvious reasons, but they're softer with the, uh, the grandchildren than they were with, uh, with, uh, their kids. So that's, that's interesting how it just shifts. There's just so many changes, so many evolutions just from everything going on in the world. It's just such a different world. You know, I mean, the world looks completely different than it just did five years ago with so much going on, with so much connectivity. You mentioned the war. I mean, there's a war going on across the world. And I don't know how it was during the Depression or the World Wars or how long it took to get. Um, you'd get what? Newspapers. You'd get headlines. Now you get TikTok feeds and Twitter feeds and and all the news stations are over there. And you can access live cameras all throughout. It's just it's such a different world. You know, don't lose sight that we all make a lot of mistakes as we grow older. You know, but every generation, I mean, every decade, you know, we get a little smarter. We get a little wiser. And we get that because of all the mistakes we have made. So I am sure in your mother's case, you know, as we get older, we learn from what we didn't do well. And that's where she's coming from. Yeah, I love that. So, Gramps, if it's not 
I'm curious if it's not a next, well, you will be doing the next children's book, but if it's not a children's book in the future or in addition to the children's book, what kind of other book would you write? Well, you know, my first book was The Secrets of Retailing, How to Beat uh, Walmart. I'm thinking about writing one, uh, The Secrets of the Internet, How to Beat Amazon. Ugh. I think people would be dying to get their hands on that book. <laughs> what do you, yeah, what do you think of that compared to, you know, when you were coming up as a kid and just seeing what retail looked like then compared to what it is now? Let me just get your quick take on that. What, what? What do you take oh, away from that comparison to, you know, 50s and 60s to the instant, you know, access that you have to anything you need? Again, I think this is the greatest time to be an entrepreneur. You know, back in the uh, 20 years ago, if you wanted to open a business, you had to buy a location, you had to hire people, you had to put money. I mean, it's very expensive. But today, if you're an entrepreneur or small business person and you want to try something, then the internet's the way to go quickly because you know you can sell on amazon on etsy on, you know there's all kinds of different uh, vehicles online that you can sell your products on and it doesn't cost you a lot you don't have a lot of people with a lot of money tied up in inventory uh, you don't have a lot of people with the money tied up in people so you've got all of these advantages today so if i was to open up a business this is what i would do i would go right in because there are so many niches that are that are still untapped that you can go after and again going back to what we originally talked about your market is now wide open you're not just talking to the people in your neighborhood your market is wide open so any entrepreneurs if you've been afraid to take the chance for whatever reason do it now and um yeah we went in so many different directions because i was curious and dragged you in different directions but without giving too much away about the book is there an, uh, a brief overview or um, path of the story that you can provide for? I don't want to turn three. Like what, what can somebody expect? And I know children's stories are typically shorter. I don't want you to give too much away, but what can someone expect if they read it? No, it's okay. It's only 32 pages. So anybody can read it in 20 <laughs> minutes, you know, because they're sitting on your lap with the child. So you should yeah, yeah. read it in 20 minutes. But, you know, what, what really happens is the influence of the father with these kids is so important. And step back, you're a father. You know, do you have the influence? Do you take charge? Do you let your wife take charge? You know, how can the father really take charge? So the father is the one who, you know, puts every, all these kids together. But what's interesting is one of the children are the ones that come up with a solution. And the solution is that all of these toys that Jordan has stolen from all of his cousins uh, and all these gifts that they got, they are going to give them to the homeless kids downtown. And that comes up, and this is a true story. This book is a true story. This is, oh, okay. if you take a look at the book, all the pictures in the book are pictures that I took of these kids. And I sent them over to, you know, the illustrator to put them in a cartoon machine. But this is a pretty true story. So, you know, the Olivia's class was, she came up with the idea that we should give everything to the homeless kids downtown. And so that's how basically the book ends. But it really is a, it's a, an adventure of a family where the father is very involved and uh, you know, the kids learn to share. And so that's basically uh, just the ideas of the book. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you reaching out to me to discuss the book just because as I, as I face my own journey of whether it's coaching or this particular podcast, 
Um, the more people I talk to, I realize how much, and, and it's common knowledge, it's common knowledge that our childhoods impact our lives, who we become, but in talking to people, you really realize from hearing their stories, just how much little seeds that were planted in childhood and the way that they, they approached life or they were surrounded by family or not friends or not, um, really guided them down the path that they took to get to who they are. So I'm just more and more, I'm fascinated, um, and now you took it even younger because I was thinking like grade school, I was fascinated with what takes place there. Um, and I guess I also did with the toddler presentation I mentioned. But um, yeah, even a, even a children's book, there's there's lessons to be learned in there. So I appreciate you reaching out to discuss this book. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. And Gramps, if there's anything, is there anything you want to share before we wrap up? Oh, you can buy the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or come to my site, gramsjeffrey.com, or I don't want to turn three.com. Or if any of your listeners want to continue this conversation, please email me at the gramsjeffrey at gmail.com. I'd love to keep talking. Absolutely. When I post this, I'll list all your information. You're a busy guy. I saw the signature in your email and you have like all the social media. You're more active than I am. I mean, you're, you're getting busy with this. You're staying busy with this. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It really is. In any case, Gramps, thank you so much for sitting down with me and taking the time to cover I Don't Want to Turn 3. Thank you. Bye-bye. So for anybody else, if if there's anything that I might have missed that I could have asked Gramps that I uh, missed just because we're limited on time, and, and I know I take the conversation in different directions if I hear a particular thing that draws me into a tangent, let me know or reach out to him. Again, I'll share his information wherever I post this. So thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and take care. Bye.